This watch I'm wearing means a lot to me because my wife gave it to me one year for our anniversary. And um, if I ever had to pawn it, I would certainly want to redeem it, get it back. I've never had to pawn anything or never have pawned anything. Wouldn't be anything wrong with pawning something. I, yes, I did a little reading about pawn shops and how pawn shops work. And you can go in there and buy used uh, merchandise, just purchase it if you want to. Or you could go in there to get a loan and uh, give them something like this watch or something valuable in order to collateralize that, that loan. But if you did, in, uh, in a difficult time, have to do that perhaps and gave them something of great value, you'd work very hard, I'm sure, to pay it back so that you could redeem the item. And you have a certain amount of time to do that. And then they, the pawn shop owner then has the right to sell it in order to uh, cover uh, the loan itself. But as we think about redemption in a much greater sense and in a sense in which we often sing about this redemption, spiritual redemption is something that is the most precious of all. And we think about it when we sing a song like uh, Redeemed, uh, a song that is uh, not in our books, but redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever, I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. And then that great chorus, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. And then there's another one that is in our book that we sing often, sweet is the song I'm singing today. I am redeemed, I'm redeemed. Trouble and sorrow have vanished away, I have been redeemed. Great is my joy. Now as onward I go, homeward, uh, or all the way homeward, my praises shall flow. I have been redeemed. Precious indeed is my Savior to me. Happy in glory someday I shall be. I have been redeemed. And then the chorus says, by love divine. Now, there's the key. The redemption that we enjoy in Christ, if we are redeemed, is by love divine, by the divine love of heaven. Because, you see, there is a choice in redemption. If I were to redeem or pawn this watch, I have the choice of redeeming it or not redeeming it. As far as the pawnbroker is concerned, when I give him this watch, the loan is paid, really if I choose to have it go that way. I have the choice of whether or not I go back and pay what is necessary in order to get the watch back. But if I don't, the loan is considered paid, if I understand how it works correctly, and he'll keep that watch, a watch that means a lot to me. There is, that's my choice. There's a choice in the redemption about which we have just uh, noted, uh, about which we've just read in these beautiful songs, isn't there? The choice is two choices. 
First of all, the love divine that made the choice to make redemption possible was indeed just that, a choice. God did not have to redeem mankind. God did not have to make provision for our redemption. But love divine, mercy and grace prompted him to do so. And he made the choice and Christ, the only begotten Son of God, willingly willingly made the choice to come to this earth to live as a human as well as deity, to die the most horrific and cruel death of his day, to shed his precious sinless blood so that I can sing I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. Heaven made that choice to redeem. But I have to make the choice to avail myself of the redemption that has been made possible. You see, the fact that he came and redeemed mankind, that is, made possible mankind's redemption, does not automatically redeem us. We're not automatically redeemed. If I pawn this watch, I've got to go back and get it. If I don't go back and get it, if I don't choose to redeem it by a certain time, it's gone. And if I do not choose redemption the redemption that has been made available to mankind, if I don't choose to redeem myself through the blood of the Lamb, by a certain time, it's gone. What time is that? Well, when time is no more. There will be no further opportunity for redemption when the Lord comes again. He will not come as Redeemer, as we are able to sing about Him now. He will not come back as Redeemer. He will come back as Judge. And those who have failed to redeem themselves in the blood of Christ by the means that he has made possible by his love, those who have not responded to that love by a love of their own that manifests itself in sweet, simple obedience to the gospel, will lose their precious souls. Something far more precious than this watch, as much as I think of it, something far more precious will be lost forever and that is the opportunity to be redeemed and so it is incumbent upon us first of all to understand and appreciate how important it is to avail ourselves of redemption the redemption that God made the choice to make available to us and that Christ his only begotten son chose to make available as he made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of the servant came in the likeness of men and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. We must make the choice to be among the redeemed. How do we do that? The Bible tells us that we do that through belief in the Redeemer, through a firm, strong belief that he is who he claimed to be. And the evidence is overwhelming to convince us that he is by his miracles, by his message, by his meekness, by his majesty, he proved himself to be the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, the Redeemer, the one through whom we must come to God and through no other. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And the beginning of that way to the Father through him is belief. But it doesn't end with belief as so many tragically contend today. No. 
We must move forward by faith to fully repent of our sins. Redemption involves repentance. To be redeemed, I must be among those who are willing to repent. That is to change my mind about where I am and to determine to be redeemed and to be elsewhere. Where? In Christ. How? By turning from my sins in repentance, changing my mind about those sins and determining to be out of those sins. But I can't be out of those sins simply by determining that I want to be out of them. Therefore, I must move forward to sweeten my lips with the confession before men that I believe him to be the Christ, the Redeemer of mankind. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before the Father in heaven. Deny me and I'll deny you. The Redeemer says you must confess. And with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 10. But to be among the redeemed, I cannot stop even there. Not even after believing and allowing that faith, that belief to move me to repent, to change my mind and to turn from the practice of sin and to sweetly confess the name of Christ. The scripture says, I must be buried with my Lord, my Redeemer, in baptism, where in that water, not by the water, water can't cleanse us, but where in that water the blood will be applied to cleanse me from my sins. Thus Jesus said, so clearly and plainly, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. In the Galatian letter in chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul reminded these Christians who had done what we've just outlined, for you are all sons of God, he said, through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there it is, the redemptive process that begins with belief that leads you to repent, to sweetly confess Jesus to be the Christ, and then to be buried with him in baptism by faith, to put him on as you are cleansed by his blood. And then and only then can you sing, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. But what about from that time forward? That's where I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning in talking about the responsibilities of the redeemed. You see, it's not just simply a matter of being redeemed, although that's absolutely crucial. And until and unless we are redeemed, we are lost eternally because of what this book clearly tells us about the need to be redeemed. We have to make that choice. But once we've made that choice, is there any responsibility beyond that time? Oh, yes. And I want us to go to a passage in that same Galatian letter to which we just referred in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, which says we put on Christ when we're baptized. I want to go to chapter 6 of Galatians and look very briefly at some responsibilities of the redeemed once we have been able to sing with conviction, I'm redeemed. And we see it in verses 1 through 5. Brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Responsibilities of the redeemed, they are here in the verses we have just read. What are they? The first is seen in the first part of verse 1, and that is the responsibility to reach for spiritual maturity. And oh, how important that is. Remember the old westerns and the expression when somebody would pull out a gun probably and point it at another person and say, reach for the sky? (laughs) Don't hear that much anymore, do you? (laughs) Got to be pretty old to even remember that expression, don't you? (laughs) Reach for the sky. Reach for the sky. Well, that's a good uh, piece of advice, isn't it, in the spiritual realm? Reach for the sky. And that's what Paul is telling the Galatians and thus telling us, if we are among the redeemed this morning, that we need to do. Reach for the sky. Reach for spiritual maturity. Here it is. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are what? You who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. Should we not want to be included among those who are considered spiritual? Who in this auditorium this morning should not desire to be considered by the Apostle Paul if he were writing to us today or speaking to you today, who would not want to be considered as spiritual? But it doesn't happen by by simple process of time. Oh yes, we must be redeemed as we've already outlined from Scripture, but being spiritually mature doesn't come immediately after redemption, nor does it come with just the passage of time after redemption. There has to be a reaching for spiritual maturity. We've got to desire it. We've got to reach for it. I've talked in times past about three stages of Christian growth. The first stage is, please help me. Please help me. I'm a baby. I'm a babe in Christ. And I need help. As newborn babes, remember Peter wrote, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Babies feed on milk, not on solid food, obviously. And so the first stage of Christian development is, please help me. I'm a babe. I need help. I need encouragement. I am a newborn babe. But then as we reach for spiritual maturity, we should move to that second stage of spiritual development. And that is the I can help myself stage. In other words, I have grown. I have fed upon the milk of the word. And I have have deepened in my understanding and my my spiritual stability. And I, I don't need as much encouragement as perhaps I once did when I was a newborn babe in Christ. And now I can I can I can help myself more. But you know, the tragedy, as I have said before, is this. Most people think that's it, that that is the final stage of Christian growth and development. I can help myself. And when they mistakenly think that, they lose the greatest joy and peace that come from living the Christian life. Because the third stage is the final stage. And that is, now let me help you. Let me help you. That's where the real joy is found. That's where the real reward of Christianity is found. And that's where the rewards are to those who claim to be Christians in the realization 
that I must reach for spiritual maturity beyond the please help me stage. And even through the I can help myself stage all the way to the now let me help you stage. Because I am out of myself now and I'm into you. Because I have fed upon the things I should feed upon in order to reach that stage of spiritual maturity. And when I do, I'm ready for the second responsibility that is mentioned in this same first verse. And that is to restore the wayward. Reach for spiritual maturity and restore the wayward. That's what he says, isn't it? You who are spiritual, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, do what? Restore such a one. We are our brother's keepers. Cain asked the Lord, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. We are our brother's keepers. We do have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And oh, how important it is to recognize the responsibility to restore those who were once redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but have turned their back upon that redemption. And by so doing, have put themselves in a position where it would have been better for them never to have obeyed the gospel in the first place, if you can believe it, than having obeyed it to turn their backs upon it. That's how serious it is. Peter made it so in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, like the dog turning to its own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Better never to have known, Peter said, than having known to turn your back upon the holy commandment once delivered. That's how serious the matter of apostasy is. That's how serious Paul takes it here as he says, restore such a one. Reach for spiritual maturity and restore the wayward. Remember what James wrote about it in James 5, 19 and 20. Brethren, brethren. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What a wonderful, wonderful prospect James sets before us, the prospect of restoring the wayward and the joy that follows and the beautiful result that comes from saving that precious soul and ending that sin that he is in. And who knows how much sin he may lead others to become involved in by his wayward example. We need to do all we can to restore the wayward. But there's some, something else here as we look at the responsibilities of the redeemed in this text. And that is that as we reach for spiritual maturity... And as we make every effort to restore the wayward, we also need to realize the power of Satan and our potential for falling. Isn't that what he says? Again, staying with verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. As you reach for spiritual maturity and as you make the effort to restore the way we're doing so with the right kind of attitude, a spirit of gentleness and concern and love and compassion, you always consider, keep on considering yourself lest you also be what? Tempted. Because Satan is powerful. 
And if he can, he will overthrow you even while you are in the process of trying to keep someone else from ultimately being condemned by bringing them home to their first love. Realize your own potential for falling and that Satan is powerful. Be sober, Peter wrote, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there are no exceptions where Satan is concerned as to his targets are. He'll target elders. He will target preachers. He will target deacons. He will target members of the church who've been members of the Lord's body for years and years. And obviously he will target those newborn babes and seek to turn them quickly from their feeding process so that they never reach that spiritual maturity and so they become discouraged and fall away even shortly after they have obeyed. He will target, in other words, everyone. And no one is immune. Elders have fallen. Preachers have fallen. Deacons have fallen. Mature Christians have fallen. And babes have fallen. Realize the power of Satan as you consider yourself lest you also be tempted. But then there's another responsibility of the redeemed that we see in verse 2 of this text. And that is to respond to the sorrow and suffering of others. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. The word burden here is a word that indicates a heavy weight, a weight that is difficult for us to bear alone, a weight with which we need help, we need encouragement, we need the prayers, and we need the expressions of concern, and we need the acts of concern and compassion and kindness of our brothers and our sisters in Christ, the people who should be the closest to us on this earth, we need each other, and at times we have those heavy, heavy burdens. And we need to respond to the sorrow and suffering of those when they have those burdens. And this is absolutely essential to fulfilling the law of Christ, is it not? Bear one another's burdens, and what? So fulfill the law of Christ. Because the law of Christ is a law that is founded in what? Love. It is a law of love, and love manifests itself. Love is concerned. Love sorrows with others. Love suffers with others. Listen to what Paul wrote elsewhere in Romans 12, verse 10, beginning. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's a responsibility of the redeemed to respond to the sorrow and suffering of others. But then something else that we need to recognize as our responsibility is this. Remember who you are always. As you do all of these things, remember who you are. 
He says, if anyone thinks himself to be something, verse 3, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Remember who you are. You had to be redeemed yourself. You were in need of redemption. And as you reach out to others who have turned their back on that redemption or to others who've never embraced that redemption, do so remembering who you are, where you came from, and who you are, and whose you are, to whom you belong, to the Savior. And then he says here, in effect, there are no spiritual elite in Christ. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. There is no elitism in Christ. We are all equal in Christ Jesus. Oh, we have different roles and different functions, and there are elders who are overseers of the flock. Obviously, they have authority in that realm. But in terms of the spiritual blessings of which we partake, we all partake of those blessings equally, don't we? All of us do. That's why I love James 1, 9 through 11, a, a book we studied not that long ago. Remember in verses 9 through 11, the paradox there, seeming contradiction of poverty and riches, where James wrote, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich, the rich brother is the indication in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat that it withers the grass, it flower its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. What's James saying? He's saying to the lowly brother, the brother who doesn't have much of this world's material goods, you rejoice in that you are elevated in Christ, where all spiritual blessings are to be found. What about the rich man who has a lot of this world's goods, but has the good sense to see that there's something far more valuable, and he obeys the gospel? He is humbled by his obedience to the gospel, isn't he? He's brought low, made to realize that all that he has means nothing compared to the riches that are among those who are redeemed. And when he is redeemed, he's humbled. And when that lowly brother who doesn't have much in this world is redeemed, he's elevated and rich spiritually. And where do those two men meet? They meet on level ground in Christ, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus, all partaking equally of the spiritual blessings that are available to the redeemed. Oh, yes, remember who you are always. And as one of the redeemed, you have resigned all to the Redeemer. And then... The final responsibility about which we'll speak today. Verses 4 and 5. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. That's the King, New King James. The King James says burden. Same English word as back up in verse 2, but not the same in the original. The word burden in verse 2, as we said, means that heavy weight, the weight with which we sometimes need help. But down here in verse 5, if you have the King James, the word burden means more load, as the New King James translates it. In other words, responsibility is the idea. You've got your own individual responsibility to bear. Sometimes the weight is heavy. That's that burden back up in verse 2. You need help with that. But 
At other times, the load or the responsibility you bear is individual, and you need to recognize that responsibility is an individual thing. You're responsible for your own work, your own load. Bear your own load. That's what he's saying here in verse 5. And the Christian who bears individual responsibility now will bear individual accountability in the judgment. Again, we go back to the Roman epistle in Romans 14 and verse 12. And Paul reminds Christians here, that, and all men for that matter, that we are going to stand before the judgment seat. He says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, each one will appear before the judgment seat of God to give an account of himself for the deeds that have done in the body, that he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Yes, the individual responsibility we bear now, we need to appreciate, and we need to appreciate fully that that will be an individual accountability when we stand before God and Christ in the judgment. It's not going to be how much good this congregation as a whole did that is going to save me individually. It's going to be my own work, my own load. Verse 5 of Galatians 6. I've got to bear my own load. I've got to be responsible. This morning, you're individually responsible for your own soul. If you're going to be redeemed, if you haven't been, you are going to have to make that choice to be among the redeemed. No one can respond for you to become redeemed. No one can stand before God and Christ in the judgment for you to give an account. You will do it. You must do it. And our fervent prayer is that you would become among the redeemed if you're not already, so that when you stand before God in Christ in judgment, cleansed by the blood and continually cleansed by that blood, as you continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, you can stand and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But to be there and to hear those words, you'll have to believe, as we've already outlined, that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins. Then and only then can you sing, I'm redeemed, because then and only then are you redeemed, because then and only then have you reached the blood that is available and awaits you in the waters of baptism to cleanse you from your sin and the only substance that can do it, the blood of the sinless Son of God. And as you rise from that watery grave in newness of life, singing, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. As you continue to live like the redeemed, you can anticipate those words, well done. If you know you cannot anticipate those words today because you have not become a part of the redeemed or because you have left your first love and need to be restored to that first love as a wayward child of God, we plead with you to do that as we stand to sing to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation, tomorrow may be too late. There's danger and death in delaying, except God's saving grace. His life on the cross he has given, oh come while you